Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello, and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now, this afternoon, I'm uh, with somebody who uh, I'm... uh, very humble to call a good friend, somebody I've known a long, long time, and uh, I'm going to introduce you to him. And uh, he's going to, he's agreed to give us, you know, uh, a little bit of his time. And he's somebody who's worked extensively in professional football. And the guy I'm talking to is Mark Leather. So um, I'm going to introduce Mark, and then I'm going to ask him to um, tell us a little bit about his life. But uh, and he can correct me if any of this is wrong. Um, he spent a long time, I think it was in excess of five or six years, as a head physiotherapist at Liverpool Football Club. He's uh, been head physio at Sunderland, Preston, Burnley, Brighton. Um, he's been head of performance, medicine at Bolton Wanderers. Uh, he's worked in professional rugby at Wigan Warriors. He's worked at uh, University World University Games, Commonwealth Games. He's been a physiotherapist for England Futsal. He's, and I know because I've worked with him, and I had some some real great times as a senior lecturer for the Football Association. Uh, He's been a consultant physiotherapist um, for different companies with an injury treatment, prevention, management aspect. Um, He's, I think, still currently a course leader for an MSc course a unique course in uh, football science and rehabilitation, uh, MSc in football, medical leadership and performance at UCLan. Um, he is the director of Mark Leather Physiotherapy Limited, and I also believe something I found out he's a, a guest columnist for the for the Daily Mail. Um, so, Mark, welcome to Leader Manager Coach. Thank you very much. I know you as a renowned physiotherapist, but somebody who is a born entertainer, Mark. I'm going to get that out there straight away. Um, and somebody who's as easy to get on with as falling off a log. But um, look, before we kind of, I ask you anything specific, um, just tell us a little bit about how you came to get into the, to the work that you did. Well, um, I've always been interested in sport. I've always been interested in football in particular. And even as a kid and a young teenager growing up in the delightful town of Bolton, Lancashire, um, I played football only at a local level for the school teams. Um, I watched football extensively. Um, I was, and still am, a lifelong Bolton Wanderers fan, but my father and... uh, Young, uh, old, uh, older brother were more interested in Liverpool Football Club which I used to go watch in Liverpool as well but I was always a Bolton fan and I liked to be around football even to the point of doing uh, a referees qualification when I hurt my knee in the sixth form at school playing football I was doing my rehab after that and started to do a bit more on the refereeing side of things just while to get myself fit um, and I was treated at uh, Bolton Royal Infirmary, which is no longer there, by these guys in the gym, at the pool, the outpatients department. And I liked 
what they were doing. I thought it was pretty good, but too late for me to do much about it uh, in terms of finishing my A-levels and, and applying to go to that college to become a physio or remedial gymnast as it was initially in my early career. Um, so I took a job. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I was told I had to get a job, clearly. And uh, so my mum used to work in a bank 50 years ago, who knows? And um, so I get this job in a bank and I rolled up into what was Williams and Glynn's bank, the Royal Bank, of, Royal bank of Scotland, on De Deansgate in, in, in Bolton. I rolled up there with my letter of introduction, day one, half past eight, and the door opened and shut once I'd given this guy my letter and reopened again. In you come, welcome aboard, welcome to the bank. And within an hour, I realised I'd made a horrendous, <laughs> horrendous mistake. Yeah. So all the things that were being told to me from the age of 14, 15, 16, 17, get your qualifications, work hard, play hard, blah de blah, Mark Leather knew better, and then it all came cascading around me at that moment. Was that an anxiety time when you realised I've made a mistake here? I made a huge mistake of not pulling my finger out and working for GCSEs and working for A-levels. If I was applying now, for it to be a physio, like a lot of us really, you want to get through the first application stage. You won't even think of applying. It's a waste of time, you know, because you wouldn't have, you didn't have the academic mm. qualifications to do it. Now, at that time, my mum and dad split up. Yep. My brother leaves uh, to be married, and Mark Leather is stuck in a disjointed background <laughs> of family turmoil. And most of my friends have already gone to uh, the uh, their colleges and universities, doing whatever they're doing. And I thought, you've got one chance. I call it a ghetto. It wasn't a ghetto, and it isn't a ghetto, but it's where my roots are. But it felt like it at that moment right. in time. And so, therefore, I went to a night school in Bolton, enrolling on a, a human biology a GCSE. And I went back to Bolton Royal Infirmary and got some experience, as and when I could do, which was basically taking annual leave, because I was working full-time uh, in the bank. So weekends were no good because there's, you know, I couldn't get into the hospital to treat, to mm. be, mm. you know, on a placement. So I put myself out and I thought I've got one shout. Will they give me a reference at the place, at, at Penderfields in Wakefield, uh, Penderfields College, Penderfields Hospital, which is the where I trained? And he said he would. Tom Watson, who I'll always be very grateful for, uh, for giving me a reference because, as in life, as we all know, you need the help. You need somebody need just to give hand. you that little helping Pull hand. Up. Yeah, we've all had it, but ultimately, after that, the onus is on the individual to use it or lose it, as the case may be. And so, with that, I applied and I got an interview, and I went there knowing I have to impress. Got an A-list. Try to impress. So the first interview is quite a long one. Lots of things you have to do. Uh, a physical. Um, uh, assessment type thing in a, in a gym uh, so problem solving group task individual task you get invited to a second interview which I did and then after the second interview that was I just assume looking back was a rubber stamp really I was I was in and out in 20 minutes as opposed to the, the whole first day one. of the job mm. and that was a, secured in the February and I didn't start again 
uh, at college till the September. So in that bank from February through to uh, September, yeah. September, I had the time of my life because I knew I was on my way. I was out. I was out. I'm out. And uh, they used to call me Trotsky then. <laughs> and here it is Trotsky because you were just a bit of a renegade. You know, you were, you know, a free spirit. On the edge. On the edge. Could have gone either way in a lot of situations. But out of every bad knowing that I'd made a real bad error, numbers of bad errors uh, at school, I'd been given this chance. So to that bad experience, something Lovely. came from it and it forced me to pull Lovely. my finger out. And I've never looked back in anything since then in terms of jobs or career. Can I just stop you there? Because this is a brilliant introduction, Mark. It couldn't have been any better. Would you say that that rude awakening of, I haven't actually applied myself here and been conscious about the realities of life has that been a, a driving force from then on because it sounds like it has it really sounds like well, it was it's a it's it, it's it remind, it's throwing me back to you know what is it now 40 40 years the reason plus. i ask that is because you and i'm going to say because you won't say it is you have been and are in in the profession of th that we're talking about highly successful and this is not to embarrass you you have mm. so and because i don't believe people get to those levels without something mm. i'm just well digging to see if it, you think I, it's that i think that i felt when i left school it was college or sixth form college i was losing a lot of friends as we all do it's like an end of a chapter mm. but i left there thinking you know once i got in that bank that day You've grossly underachieved. And I look back at some of the school reports, some of the comments that were right. He's got to read. He's not fourteen. He's not four. You know, four. He's fourteen years old, or whatever it was. You know, easily distracted. So there's no interest in anything to do with any subject other than any sport, PE. So if there was PE, physical education, A level, then I'm on I'd it. have done that, mm. and I probably would have done pretty well with it. But was I inspired by technical drawing? Or woodwork or English literature? You know, and these things have a, have a bearing on you, English literature. One group did uh, The History of Mr. Polly, my group, the worst book I have ever read <laughs> in my life. The other group, bizarrely, Castle for the Nave by Barry Hines, Kess, the best film I have ever seen. Now, if you had asked me about that, could have changed your life. Everything about it. Does that mean I don't know anything about English no. literature to get, to get a, an unclassified grade? Mm. Not really. So I felt that I'd underachieved and probably people didn't really know the full potential, not just of me, but loads of kids are like that, loads of people. But for me, it hurt that I'm letting people down, I'm letting myself down, really. And then a few years later, at Liverpool Football Club, I get a phone call from one of the teachers of my old school, would you like to come and present the certificates at our speech night, which was a big event for the school on uh, the successes, academic successes of the school mm. and uh, achievements within the school, not just formal exams. And, and I thought, who would have thought that when they couldn't wait to kick me out of that school, probably? Not that I was a troublemaker, I wasn't, but I just showed no interest in it mm. and mm. became a little bit disruptive. Mm, because because I just didn't mm. do what I should be doing and then one guy on the night he came up behind me and 
I could hear him talking to me and he said, this school must be scraping the barrel, Mr Leather, for you to come here and present these. And he was joking, really, I think, yes. because he said, what a, what a success story for you. And everybody gets success in different ways. Some people are very clever academically, and they use that to go into universities and have good jobs. I've come a slightly different route with that. And I think that that was things that I've given to my lads, three of them now, young men, um, that your life's a journey, everybody's got different stories to tell, different ways to get what they want to do, but you don't get anywhere really without a real inspiration and desire and hard work. Mm. And even then, that's not guaranteed. No, no. You just maybe need a bit of luck yeah, along yeah. the way. And I think you do get a bit of luck, and I think I probably have been lucky. Are you struggling to find that extra edge to help you stand out above the crowd? Separating yourself from the rest is often about personal leadership. Achieve your true potential and become who you really can be. The Leader Manager Coach Pro Course is a unique membership accessing the knowledge and wisdom from history's greats that will help you develop both personally and professionally to make you truly stand out. The Leader Manager Coach Pro Course. Access now at patreon.com Leader Manager Coach. You're very humble, and um, you know you have achieved. Let's face it, you know, and it, it, yes, success is whatever it is to different people. But um, you know, you'd be looked. You look at your CV, Mark. There ain't going to be many people who've got a, a CV with as many lines on it as you, working for the organisations you've worked for, and not just the names, the diversity of stuff you've done, the lecturing, you know. And I know you're highly thought of in in the world of um, of rehab, physiotherapy, professional football, and. I just want to touch on that a minute because um, how many people do we know who's especially young men which we were once which you are now talking about ultimately yeah I want to be a footballer yeah I, I'm going to get into football how many letters or how many phone calls or how many people have you had put in touch with you who said I, I want to do what you do I want to get into football I'd really like you just tell us in a, in, in, in a period of time, what's it like working? What's the realities of A, maybe getting into football and B, what's it like working in it? If you can in a few minutes, that is a difficult question. But. Well, it, it is, but I think that um, for me, it was, nobody's ever asked me any, any uh, information about what grade you got for anything, what marks you got, what you're, you know, they, they don't ask you that. The biggest thing is is your people skills, which we've heard were banded around by loads of people. But it is a it is a fact that your people skills, your ability to be, um, you know, handling the environments of of, of people uh, and the pressures and some egos and whatever else you want to call it. Treating people was never really never really difficult. Treating people or rehabbing them is relatively speaking pretty simple to a degree. But keeping people on track and motivating and reassuring and trust and respect and confidence, all these things, they, they're not just an expected given. You have to build that, and you build that by being the person that you are. So one of the most difficult people that I treated, say at Liverpool Football Club, or had to deal with, was, was Mark Wright. And, and Mark Wright was, uh, you know, a household name in England international football, mm. a well-respected, a very, very good player. Um, 
but he caused me murders. Not deliberately, but he did in a mm. way, in terms of having to deal with him and try to cajole him along at certain times. And when I left uh, Liverpool, which is three years after he'd left, um, the first person that rang me was him to say, did I want a job? And, <laughs> and I thought, what sort of a job yeah. are you going to be offering me? But he, he, he did say something, was that whatever you told me, he said, I know that you were always telling me for the best interest in me, you got my interest at heart. It wasn't always what I wanted to hear, he said, but in my heart of hearts, I knew yeah. you weren't you'd saying it and making me do things mm. that I didn't really yeah. want to do to, to do that. And I think that those things are, um, are important. Is you, so I use my personality I think, to try and uh, win people over or to get them to do something rather than going in and saying, Oi, come over here, you're doing this, and I don't care what, who you are, Billy Big Boots, you're getting that gym and do this, that, and the other. That would, wouldn't work. You'd end up having you know, very difficulty uh, in controlling and getting people on your side. And so I tried to use the, the personality a bit of a way of cajoling and kidding them into doing things. But... I wasn't really somebody that would say you have to be in morning, afternoon and evening but I might say in, it might be good for you to at least have tried your best to get fit for a particular game and that would mean we're going to be in a bit longer, maybe coming to a reserve team game in the evening, midweek and rolling up for a bit of extra treatment mm. just to show that you're giving it your best shot, mm. I said and then that's all they can ask mm. And lo and behold, you know, people would do that. It worked. It worked to get him on your side. I remember Jan Mulby telling me, um, I like working with you because you're the only, for the first time in, in his career, which was too late really for him then, somebody was actually individualising his training. I mean, I mean, how, how ridiculous is that no, now? After all these years, yeah. Well, he doesn't need to go from box to box to bounce here to bounce here because he doesn't. Mm. He's around the centre circle. He might go off the pitch, he might do this, but he's not all over the pitch. No. So training like that, repeatedly short, sharp bursts of speed endurance with and without a ball. I remember one day getting it, I've told this to people before, I need to create an impression here to make sure that the people know that it's not a soft touch, but it's not silly. So I said, right, um, Jan Mulby, I think we could do some work with a, with a tyre, dragging a tyre, over, overloading powerful work just over short distances but well, I haven't got a tyre Ronnie Morrell said to me I can get you a tyre he <laughs> said I'd love to see this like, when, you do, when are you doing this I said I'm going to do it after lunch as soon as you bring it in one day I'll, I'll do it after lunch in the afternoon I'll get you a tyre what sort of tyre you want I said I want a big tyre I don't want just a little car tyre get, <laughs> big tractor tyre yeah, big yeah. tractor tyre that do you next day to start there they are. When are you doing it? So I can't wait to see this. And who's who's on it? I said Jan Mulby. Oh my God, Jan Mulby, brilliant, fantastic. So it was a bit like the cricket pavilion in Melbourne. There were, there were people were sat there watching for the off. Paid money. And I think Ronnie was thinking, this he, he ain't going to do this. It's going to blow up here. It's going to blow Moran up. Ronnie Moran is thinking that Jan Mulby is going to tell Mark Leather. Who do you think you are? Yeah, do this. I don't do that. Anyway, Jan Mulby did because he explained to me why he was doing it. It's just a few little. Uh, quite, you know, intense, uh, short, intense, sharp, short, mm. sharp. That, that will yeah. lead onto the pitch 
uh, when you you know transfer uh, onto the pitch. And he did it, and it was a it was a wake up call to everybody else to think. Well, if he's done it to Mark, to Jan Molby, biggest player, in, one of the biggest the players club. in the club, mm. and he did it, then it just sort of made a few people suddenly get fitter. Mm. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So I think it was having the you know the the gumption to to do that and just thinking what's the best way to get the best out of people knowing that you need to know individuals a little bit yeah and having experienced the joys and the seeming tragedies of getting communication wrong myself in brutal you know let's face it uh, hard-nosed cutthroat environments where people have got agendas that you don't always know about and uh, buying into you what you want uh, is not on their Mm. is not on their agenda it's you know um, I I fully empathise with that is is that ability to you know I think you're a great communicator Mark I I think you, you know you've got that is that something that you in that people skill element, is that something you had to develop, or was that something you kind of had as a almost a natural thing? Would I you think, say? I think it's probably just me, inside and outside of football, and it's probably got me into trouble. Maybe it's in 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 uh, uh, in some ways, but that's even if you didn't become more direct with people in what you're telling them to do, rather than asking them, because sometimes if you you're not to. listening to me. And I'm asking you to do it, and you don't, you know, you have to do it. Next level. And that's it, it's the next level. And that is always unpleasant, and no one likes it. No one likes to have a fallout. But I don't bear a grudge with people. Um, and I would be the person that puts, you know, come on, let's uh, put our arm around each other and sit there. It's silly, it's all under the table, water under the table, let's, let's move on. And um, you move things forward, but you. You have to have that in you to to mm. be able to do that. Some people yeah. would feel very hurt and disappointed if there's been some fallout. But then I questioned: Are they really cut out to be yeah. working in this environment? Mm. And you know, some people clearly aren't, but they think they are, and they're not. And they change, and they change for the worse. And suddenly, they become, um, you know, a shadow of their former person where it's eaten them and it's, it's spat them out the business the world of football and it's left them scarred and that's not the, an environment to be in but unfortunately it can be like that yeah I think we both know and that the world of professional football I suppose n- never being being an actor but it's is it analogous to like Hollywood where on the outside on Sky Sports on the TV Superstars well, looks great. It, it's a it, world that it, everybody wants it, to be in. It, it, it is, isn't it? But and the reality, the reality is often different. And I think, I think you're right. But I think also that I say to people all the time about that: when you're dealing with people in any walk of life, then it, you are on stage. You're on stage every day. So as soon as you go into that workplace, this, you know, particularly lecturing or being a physio. Or one of the performance staff, a staff member in the football, that's the way that the coaches are on stage. Mm. They don't, they don't, they don't work like that at home. 
talking to you know the way that they do to the press and everything they, they, you know they have to switch on and off and mm. I think I think we are like that and, but then my training was you know the, at a young age of 19 years old you're going to a miners rehabilitation centre in South Yorkshire and there's a hundred miners in a big room that are doing a warm up for 30 minutes and you're on a stage yeah. stood on a table yeah. on the stage leading it for all these exercises and games and activities for 30 minutes 19 years old survive or okay so that brings me on to brilliantly two you've we've both lectured we've both worked on courses you worked extensively in higher education to to high levels mark um i know you've mentored loads of people and Let's just talk a minute, if we can, about... You've just talked about there of being survive or die, 19 years of age, you know, a hundred hard-nosed, hard-working men who could be 20, 30 years your, your senior. You know nothing compared to what they know about life, and yet you're there. Mm. And you, do you, How do you feel about the way that society today uh, help tries to help young people into jobs but actually I think they set them up to fail because they mm. the, the protective world that we live in I'm trying to explain it in a good way I'm not sure I'm doing it but do you get yeah, what I'm I, I do and I think that you know that sometimes that the um, you know how people are selected to go on to courses and jobs and universities and apprenticeships they're now just a paper chase it's very rarely are people actually fully interviewed and yeah. it, actually even if they are fully interviewed some programs in life the, the professions they're all over the place anyway so yeah. they're not there isn't there isn't like it was before where it's competition life is competitive so please let's not keep going back on about we shouldn't make it competitive they have to make life is competitive and me and you go for the same job I want that job more than you and if we've not been brought up with that culture of whatever competition yeah. means yeah. then I think I think you, 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 you're asking you're making trouble because it then you know they can't cope with that it's not saying that um, you know that everybody's going to achieve to their level of potential but you're more likely to be able to get on in life if you've experienced some some life yeah. uh, problems that you've that you've come through that can be quite challenging and, and we understand that but this survive or sink or swim um, it's necessary is, isn't it? is necessary but I think that the the other thing that we did which was quite innovative by the way back in the day was that we went for a month to young offenders units to do physical education. Now you were expected for the first week joining with everything that they do. So I went with one lad and he said, I'm not joining in with all that. Circuit training and British Bulldog. A student. Student, I'm yeah. not doing all that. They'll kill they'll kill you, they're not nine bells out of you. And I said, Well, they've told us we have to do it. I said, so and then we had an assessment at the end of four weeks these lads would be the, the subjects of yeah. your, your exercise class or whatever yeah. you were doing. So this PTI said to me, 
he said, your friend there, Mr. Leather, he said, um, he'll have a lot of trouble in four weeks' time because they remember things, these lads. So somebody's sitting on the side watching. He said, you've agreed to do all this. We've not seen you yet, but you've agreed to do it. And the lads know that because I've told them. And he said, I've also told him that your other, other friend, not. That, he'll be on the sidelines. Will he really? Well, when it came to the uh, assessment, um, they caused disasters to him. You know, he's explained it three times, he still get it wrong. It's a car crash. Everything is a complete and utter chaotic <laughs> yeah. disaster. We've been there. And they've done that. So what happened to me was that they, you know, I, I remember vividly circuit trading. Well, clearly you look at me and think, this body has never lifted a weight. Like, Correct. <laughs> I don't mind running and I don't mind skiing and I don't mind my bike, but my CV stuff. You're not bad on golf, mate, I've heard. Well, yeah. So, sometimes uh, pretty bad, but I'd ne- you know, so I would go and lift these, try and lift these weights, and you can't lift them. So the lads would take and make them easy for you, while they would then bang the weights up and push them. You know, but they'd have a goal. Yeah. One the first thing that I was at, I had to do was but British Bulldog. So they line up, one guy's in the middle of the gym, we're all at one end, we have to go to the other end and then after about five or six goals of this I thought, oh, what are they gonna do now? They're not coming not coming anywhere near me. <laughs> they'll wait for me to be last and then they'll knock nine not, bells. Not bells they, on me they did for about thirty seconds. They weren't punching you or anything, but well, they, they made they ruffled me up. And you've sort of earned your colours. Yeah. And I think that is very yeah. like what football and sport is about. Yeah, hundred percent. Or you've had an unpleasant conversation that has taken place in the earshot, in front of other players, and you've stood your ground. Hundred percent. And you think, you know what? That takes some doing. Well done. Um, did I like it? No. Did I feel a bit threatened? Or yeah. Did I feel awkward? Yeah. But. It, you've earned respect earned your colours mate earned your colours it's internal yeah and so you know yeah it's one thing so you've worked at Liverpool Football Club Europe's arguably one of you you know certainly the England's greatest clubs let's you know put put fan you know fan allegiances aside head physio there well respected you worked at your hometown club. What was that like, either of those? And can you remember what it was like when you realised that you'd been offered those jobs or you started them or you'd got that? You know, what, what was that like, either one well, of those? Or which was the best one? Or uh, what were they both different? I think that while I was working at Burnley, I, w- I applied for the Liverpool job that was put my way uh, or sold about it by Alan Hodson at the Football Association. And this would have been back in the January where I was interviewed. I heard nothing for three months. Which, looking back, that was a flipping long three months oh. because I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. I couldn't ring the club. Surely if they want you. You'd have been, been in by in now. Mm-hmm. I think you are. Probably haven't. I, but nothing's been announced. Or not that I was aware of. And then I got out of the blue a call to say come for your second interview which I did and then the following week which would have been early end of April um, they offered me the job which obviously I was you know it was probably one of the happiest 
days of your life, you know, to get a job like that. And to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm really pleased to do that. And I had to go into to Burnley and, and hand me notice it the week of the playoff final, which was Burnley against Stockport County at Wembley. And that was my last match. And, um, you know, it was a. My son had been born the day after. Wow. Middle lad at yeah. Wembley. So. My wife went into Happy labor. time, mate. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good time. So I think I think that was you know really good. But the interesting thing about Bolton was um, when I'd left Liverpool, I'd worked with Sam Allardyce at Preston as a, he was a youth coach there, and Sam had taken the Bolton job, and he then asked me to come and uh, be at the beginning of his journey as a Premier League yeah, manager. But that was in the Championship, and. Uh, Clearly, working for the club, for the club that you support, that was a great thing, you know. I, and I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, but I left to go to Sunderland, probably a bit too soon, really. Sunderland were in the Premier League, but I was more interested in setting up and designing their training facilities yes. and everything else. I was more moving into that. I'd say managerial role. Yeah, leadership though. Yeah, I did, and I felt I didn't want to just be the, fuzz, the head physio treating people every day. Yeah. I got tired of that. Yeah. And and I, but I, my career moved in that way. But the the thing about uh, Liverpool was that when I went there, I had the first and second season. I can't remember now. We played Bolton Wonders at the Coca Cola Cup final at Wembley, and so it was a dream game that. <laughs> Wow. Uh, you know, Bolton, yeah. uh, you know, my team. And uh, so everybody knew I was a Bolton fan, all the lads um, at the club anyway, from day one. Um, so I thought I had this football shirt that, you know, so training at Liverpool, the kids used to train with the staff for five sides on Friday. That was a treat. So very soon, week two or three uh, at Liverpool, I got my Wanderers shirt on, my Willie Morgan Wanderers shirt from the 1978 season. And uh, I thought, I'll put that under my Liverpool wet on. <laughs> and then when the teams are being announced for the five of stars, I took the top off and the Wanderers shirt on. So I always played yeah, in that Willie brilliant. Morgan shirt. And so in the final of this game at Wembley Stadium, um, uh, we'd drawn Bolton and I thought I'll wind the play the players knew what I was going to do so I, in the dressing room I was doing my usual strappings mm. and a bit of rubs and that and I thought it's a bit hot so I took my Liverpool top off and I got my Wanderers shirt on <laughs> oh mock everybody loved it you know did they apart yeah. from Ronnie Moran thought it was disgusting what are you doing wearing that rubbish you yeah. Yeah. No wonder they call you Judas. He said. You're a jinx. Going to be a jinx. Yeah. yeah. But Brilliant. Uh, so that was a great day. Oh mate. You know, because you all your mates are in the crowd. Crowd. Yeah. They were. You know, it was a great game. And apart from McManaman who ran the show that day, you know, Bolton did put up a good performance. And um, on another day, might well have, hmm. you know, turned the turn the thing. But you don't think that, do you? Really? When you're working for your team. No. No. Well, no, no. You're, you know, you're the your employers. You want your employees to win. It was very strange. People can't see that. I remember being in a pub in Bolton, and they got knocked out. 
He's jumping around when Liverpool score against. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, hit me now. Hit me now. Hit me now. Oh, I get it over with. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's good fun. Okay. I'm really interested to know about the managers that you've worked with because there'll be a lot. You've talked to me various times about certainly about Sam and, and, and people that you've worked under. What what have you picked up? What do you, what what have you loved? What have you perhaps thought that's going to go wrong? What what can you share with us about these? personalities who they are personalities they're absolutely stars of the, mm. of the football world and having being that member of staff where sometimes the manager will shut the door mark you it'll be you and him and you get the opportunity and you then you get that real person don't don't you you, mm. you know you do and i think that um I mean, there's three or four people that come that come to mind that are all different characters. So people like Sam Allardyce versus Gerard Houllier versus Peter Reid uh, versus Howard Wilkinson or Roy Evans. They were all different characters in different ways. Um, and I think that Roy was clearly somebody that had done the job that I was doing under the guise of the, the yeah. trainer, if you like, yeah. as Ronnie Moran had as well. But he knew what you were going to be going through because he'd been there. Yeah. And he'd had probably players when he was the trainer questioning him and threatening him in a way or being in your face yeah. and telling him what to do. So he, he fully knew that it's not an easy job. Mm. He never once ever in, interfered with anything to do with the injuries of the players mm. or return to play or anything mm. like that. Because I think he knew mm. that I wasn't a soft touch. I was the and still am glass half full better to have trained and tried to be fit than just say you can't yeah and if he breaks down he breaks down casualties in life all along the way that's and the way it should be better to have had a goal than just keep protecting players yeah. all the time can't do that so that was one trend with him that um very easy to go with. He knew what the job was about. Then we've got maybe Jared Houllier there. Completely different, but exactly in a way what was needed for that club. Right. A bit like Arsenal with Arsenal. Right man, right time. You needed to take this boot room idea and move it on because it was not the same as it was under Bill Shankly, Bob Paisley. It it, it had moved on, the game had moved, life had moved on. And so when he walked through the door, for somebody like us in our profession, he would have been a breath of fresh air and was, in a way, in his ideas. So nutrition and diet and training and rest and recuperation and recovery, all those things that we know mm. important, he was fine with. But he had, as we all know, from um, working with people, he probably had a, a streak in him where it was um, my way or the highway or was expecting you to do a little bit that I was never comfortable with my lighter players, cajole to say you fit, but I know you're yeah. fit. Yeah, yeah. And that culminated really uh, with uh, with Michael Michael Owen's injury, where I just felt I can't do this, and I don't want to do it anymore. If you don't trust what is going on with a player at that age, that one minute he's at Lily Shaw's National School, six months later he's in Liverpool's first team, next minute he's in the England senior team, you can't keep playing him. No. With a hamstring injury, the best down. of times you can't, you can't just mess about with them. 
and I was just being pushed into things that I didn't really feel comfortable with so when I um, said what I did privately within the club um, that resulted in him maybe putting something in the press that was a bit crass really and looking back I know he said that to other people that if if he'd had an opportunity to do it uh, it again he wouldn't have done it in that way which was fine so I don't uh, 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 but I think his principles of um, what he was putting forward and believing, I think they were, I think they were, I think they were good and sound as proof of of, uh, of how previous man, since since him, other managers have now brought those principles into the game at almost any club. So he was probably the right man at the right time, too maybe enthusiastic to get certain players fit at the beginning of pre-season when really he didn't need to and that was my uh, time to move on where I just said I can't work here anymore I don't want to stay I don't want to work with this I want to go and do something else whereas on the flip side say Howard Wilkinson yeah. um, what you'd got there was uh, Howard had been away from club management at some point for quite a while and been the FA technical director he'd not really managed club football and he said to me, um, that I, I knew him vaguely, yeah. Howard, and he said, um, he said, if you're still in football at your age now, with the clubs that you've worked out and been at, then I know you must be doing something right. So between you and me, you just crack on with what you're doing, because... This was at where, Mark? Sunderland. Sunderland, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Howard had a conversation with me one day with a lad called David Bellion, and um, who'd got his pre-contract with Manchester United right. but then suddenly stopped playing didn't want to play games just in case he got injured right. and actually Howard said what do you think of how can we get this lad to play he said he can't hmm. because he's being told by his agent not to play he's got a deal he's on his way to Man United he won't want to play yeah, yeah, yeah. he's saving himself and even in that short period of time yeah, yeah. that he'd been away from that the game had moved on yeah yeah and obviously Sam, as you know, has got many, many great points and a, a, a real good communicator, motivator, great guy to work with, looked after his staff, looked after his players. And uh, fantastic chap, really, for me, great guy, and I still speak to him now. Yeah. You've obviously, as well as your football, Mark, um, developed the education side um, in universities um, what and you've obviously had a had a, had a, a desire to do that otherwise you wouldn't have invested the time you know what is it about that that kind of floats your boat because you've always been interested from afar looking in that in developing people and young people and giving them chances and in educating well I think I think that comes from my own background you know you're, you're born on the edge of the roughest council estate in Bolton you know breaking it in Bolton probably still is right I mean this is no disrespect by the way to people that live in breaking it in Bolton yeah. it's a tough place to live and so people that make a success in any way shape mm. or form mm. success is multiple examples and uh, parts mm. to success you know somebody that works in uh, for say the local council on the, on the parks and recreation department for 30 years you know that's a fantastic achievement for some people and that's what they that they wanted to do and I felt that there was so many things that probably in football particularly that you could improve on 
that you could make an impact on the training of some of these lads, uh, girls that were coming interested in coming in to do the to the game. It wasn't a close shot with chartered physios. We're sick of hearing about that. Charter physios, this chart. I'm a charter physio. You are. But there are other people that can do yeah. just as good a job yeah. if they are given the chance to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I understand the HCPC, the public, you know, yeah. health protection, yeah. public, etc. But I think that um, I always felt that the, these people have got a role to play and not necessarily to lead big departments in Premier League football clubs. But there's, you know, hundreds, well, 38, 40,000 clubs affiliated to the Football League. So for even at grassroots, something to get a first yeah. aid certificate or a treatment of injury certificate, they're doing a job, they're providing a service that wouldn't be there. Yeah. So that was the interest in the early days of doing that. And same with the training uh, of degree programmes, whether it's sports therapy or physiotherapy. There's loads of things mm. that I felt that you could make uh, an improvement on in, in the context of um, you know musculoskeletal injury treatment prevention um, etc and I felt that my other area of interest was always the fitness side of things the sports science sports physiology and the first thing I did at Liverpool Football Club in the first week was to, to go and find what was going on at John Moore's University mm and doing a, a part-time master's degree in sports science because I knew that I, knew, I wanted to learn more about that, yeah, yeah. that side of the game and I felt that I needed to have at least a, a reasonably educated opinion to have a, a conversation mm. with somebody who is a nutritionist or somebody that is a physiologist, somebody that is a strength and condition yeah. none of which were in Liverpool football club at no. the time it was more it's all on you, everything so, um, you, so we had to build that stuff yeah. And so I thought it'd be nice to, to do that. And that sort of got me into the uh, to the academic side of things. But these master's programmes that you mentioned, you know, that are, t that are course lean on, that they really try to be vocationally driven, giving people skills to work in that department. Yeah. Because too many times I've employed people that are new graduates and they're not fit for practice because the degrees that they're on aren't fit for practice. Yeah. They're not they're not aligned to mm. what the real world is about. Yeah. It's interesting that you know degree programmes are usually reviewed on a three year cycle. Well a lot can happen in three years, <laughs> yeah. by the way, of sports injury management. So yeah. unless you constantly feeding new information yeah. and ideas into that you very quickly find that your programmes are old hat yeah. which is the challenge evolved, yeah. that we've got that we've got in keeping doing that but that's what's that's something that I like doing until I until I stop enjoying it or somebody gets rid of me I'll, I'll still do it because I, I, I you know I feel that you know I still work with the club now I do some work with Barrow Football Club and and if I walked in that door at that football club and looked around the dressing room yeah. or in the coaches' room and thought they were looking at me thinking, who's this guy? I'd have walked straight out. I'd have looked them in the face and said, you don't need me. You don't want me, probably. Thanks very much. Because yeah, yeah. I'm not hanging around no. having to have conversations that I had 40 years yes, ago with people. And I actually don't feel that in that club. I feel that they respect who you are and the way that you deal with them they find it quite strange that you've still got an appetite I know, it's to bizarre, go to away it? games 
I know. Carroll at Newport County on a Saturday there and back in the same day to watch that match. I know, yeah. When you, why it's would great. you do that? But I like it. Because you're Mark Leatherman. That's yeah, why. Yeah. And tell us about, look, you, you've obviously um, developed a successful business. And, and I'm, look, it, this is about, there's people out there who listen to this podcast who would love to have half of your success. And here's you with a, a stellar football career, you know, a substantial educational career. Um, a, a damn successful business. How have you balanced all that, mate? Because it's not well, easy. The, fir- huh? the first thing is, I never had a business while I was in professional football full time, right. because that doesn't work. Because, and I used to see people running on the pitch with their business name on the back of their bags or on the back of the shirts, and I thought, you can't do that. No. Because where, where's Mark Leather? In fact, at Brighton Football Club was one of the first clubs I were first club full time. Why was I there? Because somebody was in that role before me that did exactly that. And it was, you'd now muddying the water. Yeah. So I never did that. I only started treating business privately when I came out of football. And I felt that, you know, was it out of the desire to do physiotherapy to private patients? No. no. It was probably financial. financial. And he got three yeah, lads of mortgage to pay. Exactly. He needed a business. And so I concentrated on doing that and other bits of strands that I was doing within the university or working for the FA with the England futsal team, as you mentioned earlier on. And that's really over 15 years now that business takes over. I have somebody else that runs it on a day-to-day basis who does a really good job. I oversee things. I don't treat that many people. I pick and choose little bits of interesting clients that you might see. And it pays a living. I think we provide a decent service. But your network of people that I've been lucky enough to develop and evolve with through various ways allows me to um, almost... uh, I think people know that there are jobs if they want some extra work, they can do that. Um, If it suits them uh, to do that. So that helps to sort of recruit people for something that is just a part-time job to them. Mm. A little bit extra, mm. easy, relatively easy going, um, and it and it and it seems to work quite well. It's a mix of all kinds of stuff, from private payers, sports injuries to, uh, in the main, medical, okay. legal, and occupational health clients. So here's one, a little bit left field for you. How would you solve the NHS's problems, being as we're on that track? Well, I mean, they're in a mess, aren't they? Through no fault of the people that are in the National Health Service on the shop floor, but the system's been broken like everything else has been broken. Mm. You know, it's it's the perfect storm. The country is a mess. And it's not that easy to solve it overnight, but you, you, need, you need to have access to almost like you need it access like you've got a chemist There's a, they're on the street the high streets you can get you and we're talking about pharmacists now actually making more clinical decisions that's a, that's a good thing um, you know GP's practice do we need to go to GP's practice with a lot of these things that's blocking serious appointments so probably not so we need direct referral for MSK stuff physios even you know sports therapists sports therapists sports rehabilitators that's got their own professional body insurance behind them to give them to give people quicker access that that you're still paying you know you're paying for a service 
would need to be paid for, but it's quicker access, preventing more serious pathologies developing, namely in the, you know, in, uh, before it became becomes something more chronic, that we know that causes major problems. So you get a bad back, treat it right away, mm. access it immediately. Mm. What do we want? Somebody with chronic backache and a raging disc bubble. Six months own. later, it's just crazy. can't deal with it. And nothing's changed in 30 years. No. It's exactly the same thing. Do you not think it's too... The administration's just rules the world with it, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, that's part of the. It's too cost costly to remove that administrative overload yeah. now, and well, as long as that continues, I do think that there needs to be um, some additional taxation, which is unpopular at this moment in time, mm. clearly because everybody's fucking mm. struggling with things. But I do believe that's yeah. Right. yeah. And, uh, and certainly the uh, health and social care tax, if that's what it's going for, you know, in terms of people being in a nursing home, um, you know, that somebody has to pay for that. Uh, community care, people getting amounts of hospital beds into the home, that was the same as it was back in the day, but it's worse, much worse. Mm. People's, you know, they'd know where to put these people. So that we, we need to put, we need to pay more into those things and part of that, I don't know, health and social care thing would be that you, that you, part of your tax enables you to access, um, you know, yeah. these injuries that we that we mm. talk about. It's not good just giving somebody a sheet of paper. No, no, no. You know, how does a GP assess somebody properly for anything really in ten minute appointments? Is, mm. I mean, there, but for the grace of God, goes everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, you, they've only so many hours in the day, yeah. and you can only do so many things. Yeah. But I think that there also, by the way, is a lot of spare money floating around. Mm. You only have to look at loads of people. So maybe those people should be or, or are taking up more activities, more extreme sports. We see that all the time. Yeah. They buy all the kit, they have all the clobber, they go all over the world, and they'll be the first people that's knocking on your door to get some treatment. Yeah, and it's so I think free. That's it. Mm. That's it. Or you may, and they're paying for that service. So, you know, they are paying for it. I mean, I see them, and I'm sure you do, the, the, the people that spend a lot of money on, say, the golf clubs and all that, but they've hurt the knee, they've got a bad back, they'll go and find a physio down the road to treat them mm. because they, they want to go playing golf. Mm. And that's, let's face it, 40 quid versus a two grand piece of yeah, yeah. set of golf clubs or a bike. I mean, I've got to get my money's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that. I think more people are prepared to, to pay for that. Yeah. So... Here's another one for you that people who listen to this podcast will probably be asking, for somebody who's done so much in life, how difficult has it been, Mark, to balance your life? You've obviously got, you know, your, your, your kids who are growing up and getting on in the world and, you know, um, your family life. Challenges on that? Because that's yeah. something I think well, everybody faces, yeah? I think, the, 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 you know, the challenges are that, y- y- certainly in football, as you, you know, you, your term of office might be less than you think it's going to be. Through no fault of your own, so moving families and moving everybody around the country. You've had to do that, yeah. I've done that, but I wouldn't do it now. I, c- I well, I probably couldn't afford to do it. Yeah, yeah. It all becomes, the, you know, it's all, uh, you know, different. But it was only really at primary school age. Uh, they had one more move after a year or two years at secondary school, and then they didn't move again. But if you ask the lads, my lads, what they think, they probably may not have liked it all the time but it didn't do them any harm it provided them the opportunities to meet people settle in 
move around and you know they're mobile and they're here you, they're all in London now so it's not it's evolving yeah. to uni so it's probably helped me in that way but I did try to balance it in the fact that you always had a summer holiday with them you we always in an international break you might have had a few days where you could do something with them schools were pretty good you understood that if you took them out of school for two or three days in the middle of out of a half term week say say when an international break might be in october and half terms not till october november the end of october they didn't mind that yeah they knew what you had to do so i tried to do I tried to do that, but it it is tough. But then it, I never really viewed it as work. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's not like working in a bank, kid. <laughs> Obviously that was not. Always like thinking, God, I can't. You know, got to get out of here. If you had to do that and work Saturdays and Sundays and work till, you know, it would have. So I don't really view it as work. And if I did, I wouldn't be doing it now, probably. Like, Absolutely not. No, that, that's obvious. So. You know, having said that, and have a little bit of a journey through your start in education and your in your in in that 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 change of course where you had to kind of think, do you know what? I've got one chance here. Embarking on a career that obviously has suited you more. Getting on with it, applying your ability to get on with people and maximising that. Having that career in the game, uh, still involved in it. You've still got that passion now after 30 years. You know, yeah your higher education work which is still going on your business you know what's what's kind of is it anything left for you to to look at is it are you a, more of a see, let's see what turns up is it one of them or? well I think that I think that sometimes the more you've done and the more people you've met you might get more opportunities that come you and I wouldn't say that's always the case by the way no. because suddenly the phone stops it's ringing lonely so world that, eh? it's a lonely world long live the king the king is dead yeah. You know, you're here today, gone tomorrow. But I do think that, you know, I could be described as being a dinosaur because of my age, but I'm not. And I know I'm not because I embrace lots of new ideas. Yeah. But I also keep very close to me the principles and the key things that are still relevant now as they were. 30, 40 years ago is back to this communication and people skills and interest and motivation and trusting people and they build trust because you don't lie. Yeah, yeah. The minute you start lying, truth. tell them the truth, get the bad news out truth. right away yeah, yeah. and then once that bad news is gone, then we can move on. There's always a way uh, and always a way to solve it. So I think that you know for me while I'm still enjoying things this new course is a uh, you know the football medical leadership and performance one that's been validated for September start that's a challenge now to get it up and running and for it to be successful like the other one is um, how long I'll do it for me personally I don't know but a, a lot of the speakers on there are people that I've worked with yeah, yeah. that you've called in favour so whoever yeah. takes it over which I hope that somebody will do, um, is that they've got the same connections and the same desires for for people to help, uh, you know, the new generation. Because all of them that have agreed to do that, that's what they yeah, want yeah. to do. It's not like helping me, just helping me. Just, 
they want to pass some of their things on to um, to the to the to the new generation of people wanting to work in football or wanting to lead in football. Brilliant. Right, three things to finish this off, mate. Right. One. What advice would you give to this 18-year-old male or female who's thinking, I want to, I want to do what he's done, or a bit of what he's done? What would yeah. you say to him in 30 seconds? What I'd say to them is find out as much information as you can do about what the job and the world of sport, football, is all about. And if you really want to do it, you've got to spend a lot of time and give commitment of your own volition, your own expense to get a network as any way possible that you can to get your feet under the door and give you that little yeah. step on the ladder and if you want something often in life nine times out of ten you probably get it eventually for how long I don't know really and outside this career business education what else is in Mark's life music Bit of golf, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the only thing with golf is it's the most infuriating <laughs> thing that I've ever done. It's like no other sport. I've just come back from a skiing holiday that I've not had a set of skis on for three years because of COVID, and it was like you've never been away from it. Right? So I never. So I ski at, at my level, reason good. Play golf, you know. I have no idea what's happening from shots. <laughs> All I know is I've got a very good idea that it won't be consistent shots and strokes. It will be always some good ones and always some absolutely downright dreadful things that looks as though you've never held a golf club. I might as well, I said to somebody the other day, the only thing I've never putted with is a cricket bat. I'm going to try it. <laughs> might help improve. So I like that, but I don't like competitive golf. I no. just like to play yeah, yeah. and enjoy this, the... Um, the scene so golf is what I do I've got a dog that I walk and run with the dog with my wife and uh, we love that and I've got a mountain bike that I spend quite a bit of time cycling uh, not so much in the winter but through the summer and I like to give I like to have something in the pipeline so last year it was cycling the Pennine Bridal Way 200 miles with a good friend of mine Mark Nile another physio up in Yarm um, this year it's the Liverpool to Leeds Canal and back, full circle. And uh, not that I'm a serious cyclist, of course, but I just like some, yeah, something yeah. to Project. look forward to. Them. Mm. And then we have a place in Portugal that we're lucky to have. And we go over there quite a lot in short little blocks. Yeah, beautiful. And that's it. I like my football. I'm going to Wembley, as you know, because I've told you before this went on. <laughs> uh, Bolton Wanderers against the mighty Green Army of Plymouth Argyle. Absolutely, in mate. The Papa John's Cup final, Absolutely. second of April. Uh, yeah. And so that's my little treat out Good for lad. that. So, yeah, that's pretty simple. And uh, last thing, mate, if anybody's out there who thinks, you know what, um, yeah. I'd like to get in touch with Mark, whether that's they, they've got some kind of contractual work for, for your physio business or they want to find out more about NMSC. Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Is it your website? Yeah, or? well, it could, be the, it could be the business website or it could be just the university that you see the um, the courses that are advertised. Um, that's UCLan, isn't it? It's yeah. UCLan, University of Central Lancashire. And, you know, anything to do with 
um, my own LinkedIn profile. If any, that's probably the easiest way to on LinkedIn. Yeah, is LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, we've um, batted on here, mate, for uh, maybe about an hour, mate. So I can't thank you enough for your time, Mark. Pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, as always. So um, yeah. thanks for your time, pal. Yeah.